Good morning. Glad to see all of you here uh, this Sunday morning. Today is Ascension Sunday. I was telling those who came uh, at the start of the service that uh, Ascension is always commemorated 40 days after Easter, which actually fell on Thursday. It's always on a Thursday. So Thursday, 18th of May, is Ascension uh, Day uh, in our Christian calendar. But because we in Singapore especially seldom celebrate uh, or, or have services weekday, uh, we always use the nearest Sunday, which is this Sunday, to commemorate the Ascension. And the Ascension, of course, is um, the event in which we remember Jesus ascended to heaven and we see the accounts being uh, given to us, both here in Luke's Gospel, which I will take some time to expound, but also from the book of Acts. Uh, it's, it's Luke who wrote both books, and in it, he, he is the one that records the ascension. And, you know, we may wonder what's so important about the ascension. Now, years and years ago, the first man in space was a, a Soviet cosmonaut by the name of Yuri Gagarin. I think it was in 1960 that he was launched into space. Didn't land on the moon, but he was the first to orbit the earth. And it was reputed that he said this, I looked and looked and looked, but I didn't see God. Now, years later, friends of his actually said this, this didn't actually come from him. <laughs> In fact, it was Khrushchev who was the, um, the, the leader of the Soviet Union at the time who sort of implied that that's what Gagarin would have said. But in truth, Gagarin was a Christian and he certainly knew <laughs> you know, that uh, a God exists despite the fact being in space he may not have seen him. Uh, but the Soviets were so keen on propaganda, they came out with this poster. And in Russian, I'm told, it says, there is no God. <laughs> you know, that they, they were pointing, they were first into space and, you know, no, nope, we didn't see God there. But that's really misunderstanding, you know, when God, uh, Jesus ascended where he went. You know, that it's not this physical space that we're talking about. But we want to look at it. And, you know, in particular, this is what um, um, uh, Luke says in the uh, first part of Acts. He said, In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so right there at the start, you know, he points out that uh, this is a transition period. You know, he ends his first book with the Ascension. He begins his second book also with this same event. And it's transitioning because, you know, in the first book, the Gospel of Luke, he talks about all that Jesus began to do and teach. What do you think happens in the second book? He continues with all that Jesus continued to do and teach, but he continues in the work of his church that the church is the body of Christ who continues the work that Jesus began. So let's look at the passage itself and just uh, unpack it a little bit so that we can uh, learn some important lessons for ourselves. In verse 44 in Luke's Gospel, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law, Moses, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And, you know, this uh, is shorthand. The law of Moses, the prophets, 
And the Psalms is shorthand for the Bible, the Old Testament really, the Hebrew Bible. In fact, even now today, the Old Testament is called Tanakh in Hebrew, which is basically short form for Torah, Nevi'im, prophets, and Ketuvim, which means the writings or the, um, um, the Psalms and the wisdom literature. So basically, Jesus was pointing out you know, that the Old Testament, as well as the New, speak about Jesus Christ. They point to Him, and they needed to unpack for them this understanding. In fact, if you've read the accounts of the resurrection in Luke, especially remember the story of Him encountering the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that you know, they were uh, asked, you know, talking about what the events that had happened, uh, and, and he was asking them what went on. And they say, are you the only person alive who didn't read the news? <laughs> you know? Biggest event that took place in the world. Jesus was hung on the cross. They didn't recognize Jesus for uh, whatever reason because in his resurrection body, seems like in a lot of the resurrection appearances, he didn't quite look the same. But nonetheless, what he said to them in, in, in verse uh, 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And that's our understanding of what the Bible is. That's what Scripture does. It, it points us towards Jesus. points us towards that which He would have us know. That's what the uh, Anglican Church believes in the 39 articles. Article 6 of the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation reads like this. I took the contemporary version because if you take the original, you may be thinking you're reading Shakespeare because <laughs> it's Elizabethan language, right? But in the contemporary version, it reads like this. Holy Scripture contains all things necessary for salvation. Consequently, whatever is not read in Scripture nor can be proved from Scripture cannot be demanded from any person to believe it as an article of the faith. Nor is any such thing to be thought necessary or required for salvation. Now, if you know the history, you know that the Anglican Church was formed in the midst of the Reformation. And it was the time in which the intention was to reform the church because the church had lost its way. And unfortunately, it, it caused the breakup between the Protestants and the Roman Catholics. You know, and at that point of time, the problem was that there were a lot of teachings that came in, teaching people how they need to be saved, which were not found in Scripture. And so that's why, you know, in the articles, not just uh, Anglican articles, but in all the confessions of the Reformed church, uh, the churches in the Protestant Reformation, all understood this reality. But what was it that Jesus left them? You realize that this account in Luke uh, 24 is really Luke's version of the Great Commission. In verses uh, 46 and 47, he continues, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that their repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That He reiterated to them the message that they now had, the good news that they were meant to carry to a world that needed it. Now, sometimes we may think, oh yeah, that's all well and good for Jesus and His day. But I believe it's really a message that continues to be important even in our day as well. That Jesus Christ came and He suffered on our behalf 
and died for our sins and was raised to life on the third day. And that ultimately, because of that, there is repentance and forgiveness of sins. That we have the ability to wipe our slates clean. I was telling the church uh, yesterday that was gathered in our Saturday service that, you know, um, um, uh, a person pointed out that we live currently in an age where everything is permitted, but nothing is forgiven. You know what I mean? That uh, the promiscuity that has risen up in this age, it's like anything goes, <laughs> anything also can. right? But the reality is it does not absolve us from wrongdoing, does it? Despite the uh, way things go. I mean, the, the, I use the example, for example, of, of, of human sexuality. You know, in this day and age, the mantra seems to be, if it feels good and it doesn't hurt anyone, go ahead, do it. But if you stop and you think about this reality, for example, in, in, in recent years has arisen a movement called Me Too. And Me Too is because, you know, they realize that the uh, uh, act of, of sex taken out of the confines of what the Bible tells us needs to be between husband and wife in the bonds of marriage. You know, life doesn't work well when we do that. On the one hand, you say, go ahead, do whatever you like. On the other hand, you start to violate people. And, you know, you take things where it ought not to go. And, uh, you know, that Me Too movement has arisen because, uh, unfortunately, this um, permissibility <laughs> goes beyond that people do get hurt that the signals do get crossed because people don't understand where it needs to happen and where is the valid place for correct sexual encounters between man and woman. You know, and that's an example of how we live in an age where everything's permitted, but nothing is forgiven. And you know, the net result, of course, is that once you get tarred and feathered, that's it. Your life is over. How many uh, careers have been um, um, crashed? And, and you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not defending them. I'm not saying what they did was right. But there is no forgiveness in this world today outside of the forgiveness that God provides. That it is only in Him that we can have our slates wiped clean because we deal with sin. And the sin is dealt with on the cross. And it's only in His forgiveness that we can find a newness of life. But then, besides the message, He also then gives the mission. He says to them, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You know, and, and, and I think this is a significant thing. We see it repeated again in Acts chapter 1, right? That he tells them to remain in the city until they receive their power. We know that in 10, well, seven days now, if it were actual ascension day, it would be 10 days from the day. It's the season of Pentecost, in which we remember the outpouring of God's Spirit upon all flesh. It's the birthday of the church, in a sense. 
It's when the church fully became the church because the Holy Spirit filled them. And I'm actually getting ahead, a little bit ahead of myself because ultimately that's what uh, the ascension signifies for us. That, you know, it is only after He ascended that the Holy Spirit could come. And I was mentioning to the church yesterday, and I think it's worth us thinking, you know, I think we need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day. This past week, uh, we went through Synod. Synod is where the um, diocese, the whole diocese Anglican Church gets together. It's uh, uh, the governing body of the diocese where we have representatives from uh, the lay people, representatives from the clergy, and together deliberate over things. And there was a report by the Archdeacon, Archdeacon Daniel Wee, talking about the state of the church. And he was sharing the demographics for the Anglican Church, which actually are not very different from demographics across population in Singapore. And the, the, the bump, big bump in terms of Christian population in our churches lie between the ages of 50 and 65 or 70. <laughs> which uh, you look across this room, you know <laughs> that's uh, uh, practically the case. You know, and, and he pointed out that this is the generation mostly that came to Christ in the 70s and 80s, a time of revival in Singapore, that we are the products of that revival. But he pointed out, you know, and he said, we need another revival. You know, unless God moves mightily again, you know, in a sense, uh, it, it looks like a, a bleak, the outlook looks bleak for the church. You know, you, you look at the census surveys, the huge jump in religion in Singapore is the group who have no religion. Very, very large group. And especially those in the younger generations. You know, those of our children uh, are, are those who have, you know, walked away from the faith in, in many cases, which pains many of us. But, you know, I, I wonder if we too need to be praying and staying and asking God for a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. You know, if nothing else, let's spend this next week praying and asking the Lord, Lord, will you show up again? And maybe He'll show up to you in this week or maybe next week when you come to service, you know, we'll see a mighty move of God and the Holy Spirit. That's my heart's desire. But let's, you know, tarry and wait for God to really... Uh, do a fresh work in our midst because we need it, don't we? Trust me, we need it. But let's move on with this passage because then we see uh, the actual ascension. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple, blessing God. You know, as I was reading this passage and as I was reflecting on it, the thing that stood out to me was the fact that after Jesus rose, they returned with great joy. I, and you know, you stop and you think about Scripture, sometimes it's helpful to put yourself there so that you know, the human emotions uh, can um, come through. And I, I don't know about you, but if someone you love leaves, joy is not the first emotion that comes to me. Right? I've been to the airport many times to see people off. 
go away for studies or myself leaving for studies or maybe some uh, good friend who's decided to immigrate to another country. And I can tell you, watching them walk into the uh, departure hall, I don't go back with great joy. <laughs> or if you do, you know you probably didn't like them very much. I <laughs> right? couldn't wait to see them go. <laughs> How is it that they were with great joy? And then if you think about it, you know, remember in the, uh, Matthew's account of the Great Commission, he, he told them to go make disciples, teaching them to observe. And then it, what was Jesus' promise to the disciples? He said, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then they see him <laughs> ascend and disappear from sight. It's like, wait a minute. Why should they react and respond with great joy? If you remember, and if you're here in our Easter service, I preached from John's account of the resurrection. And you would remember in that account was the story of Mary in the garden. And first, again, mistaking Jesus for the gardener, asked him, did you take the body? If you did, please let me know. And when Jesus called out to her by name, Mary, she cried out, you know, a uh, uh, teacher, Rabboni. And then, you know, what did she do? She grabbed a hold of him right, and hugged him, which is the natural human response. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And it's puzzling when you think about it on the surface. You know, why is Jesus saying, Don't cling to me? You know, it's like, uh, is it because he doesn't want to be touched after he's <laughs> risen? No, because he obviously invited Thomas, right? He said, go ahead, put your hands in my side my, my, uh, uh, and, and touch my, the nail marks in my hands, right? He had no issue with them uh, touching him. But if you stop and you think about it, you know, I think it's because of what was going through Mary's mind that Mary was clinging to Jesus because she, she was worried she was going to lose him again. That she was going to have less of him. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, when I ascend, you don't get less of me. In fact, you get more of me. Remember in John's Gospel, he was teaching the disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Who is the helper? Helper is Holy Spirit, the advocate. You know, in fact, elsewhere it, 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 it points out, uh, he calls him another helper, another counselor will come. Uh, earlier in the passage, he talks about him as being another. And this another is not another as in someone different, but just the same as me. Therefore, what we see is that the ascension doesn't take Christ away. In fact, it gives Him to all of us. That if Jesus remained in bodily form, I know the tendency for us to think, if only I walked the earth when Jesus walked the earth. If only I could have heard His words. If only I could have you know, sat at His feet as He fed the 5,000 and seen all the miracles that He did, of, um, you know, opening blind eyes and making the lame walk. And, 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 and raising the dead. Wow, I'll be a much better Christian and <laughs> much greater faith. But you know, when Jesus walked the earth, He was only at one place at one time because He was within the bounds of space and time. 
But in ascending, He now is available to all of us. And that's what Paul understood in his introduction to the letter to the Ephesians. He talks about the fact that His incomparably great power is available to each and every one of us who believe. What is His power? The power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when God raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him uh, to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. That when Christ ascended, it was in preparation for Him to send down His Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out into all flesh, He filled the church. And the church is the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. You realize that the church of Jesus Christ covers the earth, that practically every nation on earth has a presence of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, in some places, that presence is small and sometimes, you know, pressed down, persecuted, and often has to go underground. But nonetheless, He continues to make His presence felt. And he puts us there because ultimately, you know, Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father is not a physical place. That's why, you know, the cosmonauts couldn't find God when they went up into space. What it speaks about is the fact that when you sit at the right hand of the King, you have all power and authority. And that's what Jesus has today. And that's what fills us and as the head of the church that's what we are promised. Let me end, though, with this. In the end of the Acts passage, you know, it, it concludes because the, the disciples were gazing and they were looking and the angels came and, you know, gave a message to them and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so we see encapsulated here in the act of the ascension, you know, Jesus' ascension into heaven, the very uh, 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 fu the fullness of our faith. What it is we often, when we later on, when we do the communion, we talk about as the mystery of our faith. That Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Jesus Christ died to pay the price for our sins. But God raised Him from the dead to tell us that His righteousness is now ours. That He was raised for our justification is what Paul says. That we are justified before God but that Jesus Christ, who ascended to heaven, will come again. That our eternity is not only assured that we know that all things eventually will be made right in God's kingdom.
So whatever circumstance you face today, where you may find yourself, and whatever issues that you struggle with here on earth, that does not have the final word. The ascended Jesus Christ does. And Christ has died, and Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which sheds light on our way, which helps us, Lord, to discern the ways in which we should go. But more importantly, which points us to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And we thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us as orphans as Jesus ascended to heaven, but you sent yourself down in the form of the Holy Spirit, who now dwells in each and every one of us who believe. Father God, we cry out to you because we know we need you, that our need for you is absolute. That in our own strength, Lord, we cannot, cannot be your witnesses. We cannot even live life the way it's meant to be lived. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. And Father, in this week ahead, as we reflect on the events of the Ascension and as we anticipate Pentecost, I pray, Lord, that you build an expectancy in our hearts for that which you intend to do in our midst. Lord, we lift up to you the burdens of our hearts, whether it be loved ones, family members, neighbours, friends who are still outside of your kingdom or have fallen away. Father, we pray for a fresh move of your Holy Spirit to draw them back to give us the power to be your witnesses in ways that, Lord, we know, humanly speaking, we could never do ourselves. But, Lord, may the fresh move of God, which will sweep over this land, sweep us up in it as well. Thank you, Lord. We ask and we pray all these things in your Son's most precious name. Amen.